0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball. And I'm your co-host, Seth Thombach. And we are back with 31 Days of Halloween. We're going to start back up from October 7th. We previously covered October 1st through 6th in the two previous episodes. We've been doing three... three topics an episode three items but we'll probably do a little bit more for sake of time we're realizing that it's a little easier if we cover several and then we'll kind of release them during the week so we'll see how many we get through uh but we're going to pick back up previously we talked uh, the last episode we talked about exorcist 3 uh and we talked also about marble hornets seth brought up marble hornets and we talked about the podcast the magnus archives so that was last time today we're going to start back
1: up with October 7th, and uh, Seth, I'm going to let you take it away. So my choice for October 7th is a little film uh, by an Oscar-winning director, uh, you know, who kind of delighted millions of people in his time with, with some of his huge blockbusters, and it's one of his lesser-known movies, and that's called Dead Alive, or Brain Dead.
0: On this picturesque block... In this manicured home, something evil, something terrifying, something horrifying, is haunting Lionel. His mother.
1: I thought I told you to spray this house. The place is infested with bourbon.
0: Although she was a little strict.
1: Look at this dust. It's an inch thick.
0: He never wished her any harm.
1: You look
0: after me, Lilo.
1: Until. <laughs> your mother's dead, Lionel.
0: Now, whatever mom's got. Who's your mother? Has caught on with the neighbors. She's been. <laughs> you can pray. Oh, I kick
1: ass for the Lord. <laughs> you can plead. You can beg for mercy,
0: but nothing you can do will stop. Because how do you kill something that's already dead? trimark Picture presents a modern masterpiece of horror.
1: Your mother ain't
0: my god! Dead alive.
1: Party's over. as it was originally released. This is a splatterfest movie. So this is one that I'm going to tell you straight off the bat if you have small children or even impressionable teenagers, you may want to think about not showing them this for for Halloween. This is really going to be purely for people who enjoy slapsticky gore films and Dead Alive actually delivers that in spades. Um this is a film by Peter Jackson. It's not Milos Forman? I thought for sure it was going to be Milos Forman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Previously to this, um, this is his, I think this is his second film. He had done Bad Taste, which was his uh, directorial debut, which is another one for another time that's that's really out there and crazy. Um, but this film essentially is a zombie movie. Uh, but like I mentioned, this is a slapstick zombie movie. This is going to be more in the vein of like a dead alive or something like or a, Like, a, yeah, like a dead alive. Uh, let me start that again right here. This is going to be more in the vein of something like an evil dead. in the type of horror that you're going to get from this movie. It's like somebody
0: watched Evil Dead 2 and literally said, this isn't gross enough.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And this movie reaches some pretty high heights of gross enough stuff from one of the opening scenes involving pudding uh, up to the <laughs> insane ending of this movie. There are just some stuff that you are not going to believe that you're seeing, and it's going to make you laugh and maybe sometimes gag at the same time. Um, but this movie is a hell of a lot of fun, especially if you want to have a group of people over or, or show it to somebody who's never seen it before and just kind of watch their reactions. Um it kind of will be along the same lines of another movie we talked about previously, which was like the last 20 minutes of society. It's something that this movie just kind of goes so off the rails. You're just going to, you can't believe your eyes. What do you think about dead alive, Nathan?
0: This came out in 1992. Uh, as far as stateside, it kind of showed up under a label called Vidmark uh, or Trimark, which was like the mark of quality. Vidmark, to give you a, a perspective, Vidmark early the same year had released their – one of their first theatrical features was Leprechaun. And I think that was the most <laughs> high-profile movie they ever released. You look up Vidmark, uh, you'll see they a lot of really just trashy kind of B-movies to their name. I think they were also re- responsible for the um, turn of the living dead part three around the same time oh, frame yeah. as this. And uh but you it could be kinda of counted on to also some once in a while scoop up a uh, a foreign movie or a, a smaller indie movie that actually had some merit. Around 92, 93, and in, in 93, January of ninety three, Army of Darkness came out to theaters. And it's interesting because I personally had never seen Evil Dead 2 at that point. I'd seen the cover art, I'd i I'd seen like some stills and stuff from it on some of these horror clip shows. When Army of Darkness came out, I saw the trailers and it looked so Fun, but I didn't really connect it to this. So when I saw it, Army of Darkness is a like relatively mild. Like I'm shocked actually that that movie's rated R. Now I'm not shocked of the ratings on the other two movies. I think it was almost just following in line, and it's a fun fantasy movie, you know, for the most part. Like I think it might be rated R because there's one f bomb, you know, and some mild implied violence. But so I saw that, and we would watch. We kind of, my family kind of got hooked on that. We would rent it several times and watch as a group. And so New Year's Eve comes. We've seen a clip of this movie, Dead Alive. And we're like, hey, that looks like you know Army of Darkness, Evil Dead. So we rent Army of Darkness and Dead Alive back to back. And it's New Year's Eve, and we're watching. And my, I'm in like, uh, I'm just in my first year of high school at this point. But my siblings are either in middle school or younger, in elementary school. And we've watched Army of Darkness. It's now getting into like the 10 o'clock, ten thirty, eleven o'clock range. And we put this movie in and, oh my goodness, my dad realizes a mistake pretty quickly because this movie starts out. They're on uh, like a Sumatran Island. And, and just the very beginning where they're trying to escape with this rat monkey that they've captured and they <laughs> knock the guy in the ground and the natives, he's been bitten, the natives start cutting his arms off. We saw a lot of horror movies. We're watching that scene and it becomes clear pretty quickly that, it just looks a lot more realistic, and I did no idea what we were in for. It <laughs> it, it smacked us in such a way; I, I it, it took us all aback, and you, my dad, to the point that there wasn't even a consideration to turn it off. Uh, not because, the, and again, like you said, slapsticky. This is in the tone of like much like Evil Dead Two, The Three Stooges. So you're watching. Oh yeah. Uh, this character, Timothy Baum, plays this guy Lionel, and he's got this overbearing mother. And he's got the, the girl that he wants to date. And it's all going along. And then, you know, mom is bitten by the rat monkey. Where this movie goes is just insane. But you can't really look away from it. And we should have turned it off about seven or eight different times. And it keeps <laughs> escalating, like you said. It, it, there's, a, there's a lot of weird like puppetry and Muppet-looking creatures. And uh, yeah. weird lines like um, that one of my favorite exchanges in the movie, although there's several of them, is, uh, Your mother ate my dog. Well, not all of it, and it pulls the tail out, and it's just, it goes so far in reality, you mentioned the custard scene, which is disgusting, and at that point my dad's like, I think we're done, and then the next scene is followed up by something crazy, it's like, okay, and then we're introduced to the the priest of the church where, uh, you know, Lionel's mother gets hit by a trolley. (laughs) (laughs) and eventually comes back from the dead and you get your zombie movie it's unlike any zombie movie i've ever seen even by the standards if i'd even seen evil dead 2 i still (laughs) this thing outpaces it it is just gore uh but it's also kind of i don't necessarily want to say it's good-natured because i'm not sure that's true but it has a very sunny sort of disposition it's got a lot of weird quirky it's very eccentric which i think is what makes it work uh, but I, even to this day, I, when I would go back to watch it, at the end of that night, we were gobsmacked. We were just like, we're going to bed now. We will never talk about this. And, <laughs> yeah. and don't tell your mother or your grandmother that we watched this. So we all just kind of shuffle off to bed. And I felt weird after it was over. Like, honestly, kind of like, should I have watched that? And <laughs> yeah. I remember watching it later, sitting down to Chris and I'm being like, oh yeah, the years have gone by. And I got the same feeling. I watched it about a year or two ago and I'm still like, I think this goes too far. You know, whatever. <laughs> whatever (laughs) when he has the push mower oh my god and this is the scene that was this is the scene that bought this and the scene with the priest doing the martial arts against the zombies is what sold us in the trailers when he picks up the 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 lawnmower and comes in and screams party's over and it's an old style push mower and he's got to pull the cord to start it, I mean, I was sold at that moment. And <laughs> yeah, that's some, it's amazing when a scene starts with that. There's very little it can do in that image. You know, I think that's why we talk about comic books like Tales from the Crypt. It would give us that image of him holding the mower, and boom, the comic right. would end. Because who can possibly create a scene that matches up with what happens in your mind when you imagine? a guy running into a herd of zombies with a push mower but this movie does it this movie is so much worse when that scene goes down it is so unlike (laughs) anything you can imagine that you're just like wow that was that was way worse that was way cooler than i was imagining in my my mind
1: right (laughs) i think it's a, a couple things um like, first off, I think Dead Alive reaches kind of what so many other of these movies that you've seen out come out in the past, like, maybe five years or so are trying to do, movies like Hobo with a shotgun, or Wolf Cop, or any of these like you know Turbo Kid kind of. Which, films. for the
0: record, I hated all three yeah. of those movies. Yeah, I know I feel
1: the same way, but and that's what I think I hate so much about them is I feel like they're trying to do something like Dead Alive, and the thing is Dead Alive is completely earnest into what it is. It's a like you said, there is a lightness to it. It's a whimsical gore movie, is what this is. It's a cartoon like a like an itchy and scratchy cartoon. I actually kind of think if I had to compare it to anything else, I would say it's just like the one skit by Monty Python, uh, where they do Sam Paw's salad days, which is about yes, a group of yes. Pecknickers. And they're just like, some guy runs up, he's like, anyone for tennis? And he throws his, uh, his racket accidentally and it sticks into somebody's like chest and blood is like gushing everywhere. People's hands are getting chopped off by the piano. Everybody's dying and blood is just spurting all over the place. Like that's what dead alive feels like. It's like that to like the nth degree.
0: And if you want a feel for it, it's it's kind of like when Sam Raimi went on to the Spider Man movies. You could see bits and pieces in those movies that harken back to the Evil Dead. Uh, if you think about that scene in, I believe it's the Two Towers, when you know the the orcs turn on another orc and just shred it to pieces, and guts are flying in the air, and someone screams, "Meats back on the menu, boys."
1: You take that and extend it for an hour and a half and throw in some vomit, and you have Dead Alive. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for uh, me talking about Day 7. So, Nathan, I'll pass it over to you.
0: Yeah, okay. So we are on October 8th and probably take a bit of a a detour here with that. I do have a movie, but it's going to be in a different vein. (laughs) It's going to be a totally different direction than uh, Dead Alive. But that's an awesome party movie. My movie, uh, and I wanted to get this out there. I, it immediately sprung to mind as something I wanted to talk about for this series, and I wanted to get it out there uh, because it just so happens that we're about to coincide here at the end of the week with the release of new Netflix, new version of The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. And that's a done as a series. It's based off of the book by Shirley Jackson. Although in the trailer I've seen, it looks like they've changed some things around, which may actually be good because I don't mind a different approach to to the story. And is a story that's been done a couple times now. So we have the uh, we have the new series that's coming out. We have the book. We had a 1999 movie, which I promise you was not the one I'm here to talk about. Uh, that came out and it was basically a big special effects movie. I think Jean Debant made the movie. Yeah. But the movie I want to talk about is the 1963 The Haunting.
1: (laughs) God, it knows I'm here? Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. Now, look, Doc, we're buddies, okay? But don't try to convert me. I'm trying to prepare you.
0: My name's Marquay, Dr. Marquay a scientist interested in the supernatural, the unnatural, if you like. I came to Hill House to find the key to another world. Assisting me in this exploration of the unknown was Eleanor, Nell, who could look back into the past, and Theo, something of a witch who could see into the future. This is Luke, who didn't believe in anything until evil, patient and waiting made him change his mind have you seen this movie oh yeah this is a classic this goes back to a very classical sort of of ghost story even in the time when it's done it's both classical and it's pushing the boundaries a little bit just like shirley jackson's actual novel and i love the book the haunting of uh, hill house and it's had it's got a interesting cerebral feel to it it's got some paranoia it doesn't put its its ghost sort of exist at the frames of the story oft times you'll have something and it'll it'll name check a location like here we have a hill house but hill house really is a character in the book it has as much presence in the book as any of the actual flesh and blood characters and then the movie that weiss directs is about the same kind of deal the house uh and in fact i think it's safe to say in all the versions i've seen including one that i think was based off of this the legend of hell house uh, that's also a good movie, done later in the 70s, Roddy McDowell's in that one. The house kind of comes front and center in these movies. Yeah, It does take on a life of its own, not just in the sense that it seems kind of possessed uh, where the story goes, but the cinematography, the the way it's filmed. Before this movie and after this movie, Weiss had done a whole bunch of pretty big, high-profile movies, West Side Story, The Sound of Music. Prior to this, some of his very early work, he did Cat Pe- uh, The Curse of the Cat People. Oh, yeah and he also did the body snatcher with um Boris Karloff so some very interesting movies before this and several really good movies after this he's got, he he went he was even making movies later in his life he did uh, Audrey Rose in the 70s and the Star Trek the Motion Picture so he's got a very varied career with a lot of really uh, interesting stuff to his name and this uh this is one of those movies the plot is kind of a setup it works i think it's very interesting you've got a professor who brings a bunch of people to this house that has a reputation for being a dark place where really bad things went down in the various versions there's different reasons that they're there but he kind of brings them all together for this sort of paranormal investigation i think in the remake they sort of say it's for a sleep study but the point is you get a lot of these varied personalities there and among those you have a claire bloom plays theodora and and it very interesting for a movie of its time, it's very much implied that Theodora is homosexual, you know. Yeah. And she kind of makes advances on Julie Harris's Eleanor Lance, who's the primary character. Eleanor comes into this house and she connects with what's going on with the stories about Hill House more so than anyone else. Russ Tamblin is in this yeah. is is Luke Sanderson. I think his character is played by Owen Wilson in the later <laughs> remake. Yeah. So but I like what I like Tamblin's take on the character much better. I I uh, I enjoyed that a lot. The cast is great. The house looks awesome. Cinematography is beautiful. And even uh, even the way that certain creepy scenes are handled, I, I think it's fair to say without giving anything away, The Haunting is not like a lot of the silly kind of ghost or horror movies that may have came before this where you'd eventually have a special effect, a not really great special <laughs> right. effect that will pop out. There are no special effects in this movie. None that I can think of. The smallest, most simple effects—things like a, a candle being blown out or something like that—are magnified, but everything else is sort of simplified. Deals on psychological realm a lot. So, what's going on with Eleanor? That's why really that that uh, performance by Julie Harris is probably the most important piece of the movie because you have to kind of sympathize and empathize with her and see things through her eyes. Because I don't, the movie never really makes it clear. Whether we have a gothic horror or we have a psychological horror going on. The reason I recommend this is it eschews a lot of what you'd expect to see in a creepy movie. It's a G-rated horror film. I think that that doesn't necessarily mean it's for really young kids because I don't think it is. But it does mean that the content is milder. I think this would be an, uh, an interesting movie for an eleven to twelve year old range because it's going to take a little patience, and it is—it's dark and spooky in the
1: things it suggests. Oh, definitely, yeah. The, the one of the one of the highlights, I think, of this movie, and again, like I, I definitely think this is a classic, is one of the greatest haunted house films of all time. And the book is excellent as well too. Um, the sound design in this movie is just unbelievable. It is so good. Um, it's it really evokes these feelings of, of kind of dread happening. And, and you kind of feel, you feel like the house living beneath the frames of this movie. Like, it's just, whoever did the sound design for this film was just a genius. It, it works so perfectly. And it creates
0: places of pockets of stillness so that you're where the characters are. Like, what was that noise? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from down the hall or is it coming from right behind me? And when
1: you minimize things like that, it emphasize, it makes everything magnified. Yeah, I, I know like Stephen King brings it up a lot as one of those movies that affected him so much when he was younger. What do you think, like for a positive way, what do you think that it has done for the genre of the Haunted House film? I think it did a lot
0: for people who were influenced by it, uh, which is to say the, the book itself has had enormous influence on the horror genre in general. And on the work that Stephen King eventually produced, even when The Exorcist is finally made, you know, when this story is done, I think it create it, it carves out a psychological place to still have a like a Victorian horror story. To me, you've got the uh you've got the turn of the screw, Henry James here, you've got Stephen King here, and Shirley Jackson bridges the gap between those two with The Haunting of Hill House, in my opinion. And Shirley Jackson's a great author. There's lots of really good stuff that she's done, uh, not just this, this book. The, the film itself, if we're asking what the film's influence, I think in the 60s it started to move into an arena where we could have a scary movie that didn't need to be silly or goofy, uh, or to even necessarily have those things those scares on the screen yeah i can't think of too many movies jack clayton's uh the innocence from around the same time frame with Deborah Carr, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Mm, I haven't. Does a lot of the same things. That's that. That's a fantastic movie. I think I've probably spoken about it in a previous podcast, but uh, really good. And it is actually a version of Henry James' *The Turn of the Screw*. So if you haven't seen that, I would highly recommend that. This one be a great double feature with that movie. Uh, again, use of sounds and uh, and 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 the way things are placed in and out of the frame, it just creates a sort of paranoia. So to me, I think that it probably wasn't as easily marketable as you might think. Uh in the 60s it had a lot of big influence. I think later on it it didn't necessarily spawn a lot of horror movies that were exactly like yeah. it. Its ambiance caused people to consider more how we create a create the space around us, you know, where a horror movie exists. It's not just the setting, but it's also how the setting plays on people's minds and on their nerves and things like that i think you can see a huge debt with this story on the shining that would probably be the, probably
1: the biggest influence i can think of oh yeah definitely yeah i i i actually want to go back and re-watch this one again uh you know it, it feels like I haven't put enough time going back to some of the farther back classics and Then I'm just kind of getting caught up on some of the newer stuff that's going out right now uh, because there's just not a lot. But I, I do want to eventually go and re-watch a lot of those movies and just kind of have that same kind of appreciation for them again.
0: So, okay, uh, that's The Haunting. And now we're going to move
1: into October – Ninth, Seth, take it away. So uh, for my topic this time, I want to kind of discuss a few different horror short films that are on YouTube. Um, I think there are – even though there's a ton out there and it's there is a lot of bad when it comes to some of these short films, um, There, I think there's been some really – huge standout short films uh, that have shown up on YouTube. Uh, And I just want to highlight a few of them that I think have made a very big impact on horror. And I'd like to see more stuff from some of these um, directors. Uh, So the first I want to talk about it came out about six years or so, a company called Bloody Cuts Films, um, and they had a few different, you know, shorts, uh, some of the ones that I think are really good on there. There's one called Dead Man's Lake. Uh, there's another one called Suck of Blood, which is the first one I saw, which is kind of like a, um, a fairy tale, a scary, like animated fairy tale. Um, there was another one called Don't Move. That's really great. Um, there's a lot of... Of stuff on there uh that's that's excellent uh before i go any further nathan have you ever heard of bloody cuts or seen any of those ones that i mentioned here
0: years ago you i don't know if you sent me the the short film or maybe back when we were doing pop culture ninja you might have posted it on the website and i saw the Suckle blood and i thought it was i don't want to use the term cute but it kind of was but purposely so i mean But I liked it. I enjoyed it. But I actually haven't – I don't know that I've seen – I may have seen, but they're not ringing a bell. And I'm not familiar with Bloody Cuts as generally as as like a concept or a series.
1: Yeah, it was, I think it was the name of their production company. Yeah, it's a, out of Britain. Um, but yeah, definitely check out those couple ones. Don't Move is, is pretty scary. Uh, the other one that I mentioned, it's kind of a tragic horror. It's called Dead Man's Lake. That one's excellent as well, too. Uh, the other ones, I'm sure that you've probably seen, Nathan. Uh, the first of which being... The short film that led up to the feature film Lights Out. That one, um, there's something about it. Like, I I saw the movie and I hated the movie because it just was so predictable at at that point. It just kind of felt like middle of the road. But there's something about that short, you know, three, four minutes or however long that short is of just the woman standing in the dark and flipping the light switch on and off when you see this creature hanging in the background the whole time as it starts getting closer to her. Uh, that uh, just the image the way that the lighting is in that short film like it just really really gets under my skin watching that I just wish they could have maybe uh, translated that into a feature-length movie if they had to do it in the first place. But as it stands alone, I think that one in particular is is one of the high up there ones when it comes to the short uh, horror films on YouTube. Uh, Nathan, have you seen that one? I I saw the
0: short film and I saw actually the movie itself, and I thought the movie was fine. I didn't I didn't like uh, think it was amazing, but I thought it was well directed. It had some interesting ideas, but it was essentially done in that same vein of like the Conjuring style movie and i like the short film is fun and it's got a very creepy image and it kind of does what it needs to do and then it's done which i which i like about short films particularly horror short films i feel like they need to have they get in they do their thing it's like a quick bite it's a snap you know and then it's done and i am kind of tired of people making their short films into feature-length movies i have a whole rant about that save for another time about a recent (laughs) movie that i just saw a couple days ago that was dirt, that was done from a short film, and it, 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 there's not always enough material. But what I love about shorts, and I think this would be a great topic for, for its own podcast, not just for hard shorts, but short, shorts in the genre itself, you can, oftentimes, you can spend a little bit of money uh, to make something look really great in a four- or five-minute venue yeah. or, or get a point across in a, in a short venue uh, and make it really work, and you don't really need that whole long... You know that full blown film yeah. kind
1: of approach to it. So yeah, it's 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 open of like creativity. I think in that way because you just you're, you don't have to deal with a studio. You can just make what you want to make. I think um, I'd love to do a whole
0: series on, on short films, and I'm looking forward to checking some
1: of these out. Yeah, we'll have to make sure to put some links in the notes of this episode that you guys can just pull directly for them, and I'll try to post some up on the Facebook page as well. But I'd love to
0: circle back to this idea because I think that this would be a really fascinating uh,
1: uh, full, full-fledged full topic. Oh, definitely. Episode topic. Because there, there is a ton of gold out there if you know where to look for it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, so look for that podcast in the near future. So that'll wrap up my pick. And I've got something that's actually a little
0: bit outside of horror, actually. And it's still, though I still think it applies for Halloween. And it's outside of the film, book, TV show template that we've been doing. And uh, what I have this uh, today is actually an album, uh, music. So I want to talk about a an album, and it's probably likely that a lot of people have heard this or heard some of it. This is Lorena McKennett. She is a Canadian folk Celtic singer. A lot of her music is, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the best ways to uh, kind of epitomize what she does, but it really... Harkens back to Irish folk music as a basis, but she creates a lot of ambient soundscapes when she does her music. Uh, Uses a lot of traditional instruments, and it's a. I kind of think of her as uh, she's sort of she's like Enya for people who think they're a little bit above listening to Enya. (laughs) Yeah, I probably made that sound worse than it (laughs) is, but you know, I I think that uh, and I I like Enya, but I think that her music has a she she builds a lot of literary. Pieces into her. I mean, and I don't mean this in like literary allusions, but she will take poems by uh, William Butler Yeats and James Joyce and turn them into pieces of music. And she draws a lot from Irish mythology and folklore. And she has done entire pieces of music, kind of following the path of the ancient Celts and things like that. And she puts a lot of uh, effort and 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 thought, I think, into the creation of her music. Yeah from a from a a songwriter perspective Um, i think she's a beautiful voice but then the instrumentals are really great too because she draws from a lot of different pieces of culture she'll draw middle eastern music and she will bring in a lot of traditional irish style music and then somewhere in the middle she will create some soundscapes that have a little bit of a more modern feel to them, but it's
1: all sort of merged together. Are you familiar with Lorraine McKenna at all, Seth? Yeah, when I was growing up, my parents uh, started really getting into their heritage, which uh, we found out more as we, we started doing some of the DNA testing, um, but at the time we do, we did know of our heritage of Irish and Scottish and Welsh, um, and so my parents got super into that, so we would go to Highland festivals and my dad even pl- like participated in the highland games and um we just we we try to you know learn as much as of the, about that our heritage as we could um even to the point where my parents were playing in a uh, like a little irish band they'd go to a a pub you know a couple nights every week and, and play music there uh, my dad played the boron which is like the, this drum that you hold up on your up on your leg so we you, know, you Part of that world, you definitely are going to get introduced to Lorena McKinnon at some point. Um, and there is something very special about her music. I, I feel like, especially if you have heritage, like Irish heritage, you're going to feel a connection to her music because it feels like home listening to it. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, Nathan.
0: I agree completely. And it's it has a sensibility to it that to me, is beyond a lot of the typical irish music uh because i think she does she takes things and really puts her own spin and feeling into them and you have something that's very traditional but creates a real kind of like place in your mind and that's why i actually picked this particular album because i think it for me it creates a real feeling of fall and of halloween time and there are elements to so many of these songs i'll talk about in a minute that do create this uh this this place and this sort of story that's going on that i think really uh dovetails perfectly with the season and with the holiday uh the big song on this is the mummers dance which i'm pretty sure if you played 30 seconds of this thing for people they would remember they would recognize it from the late 90s where you know they threw a sort of like backbeat into it and dumped it on the popular I'd radio do really you remember, remember this that, yeah in the in the 90s uh it played it played over a lot of trail i specifically remember playing over the ever after trailer the uh the drew barrymore cinderella movie <laughs> yes. which all things aside is not a bad movie it's actually a pretty no. decent cinderella adaptation but uh, anyway uh, it, it's a funny thing too her i when they were making the lord of the, to go back to the lord of the rings when they were making the lord of the rings movies her she immediately came to mind when they had mentioned that they were making some of the songs and turning them into uh, every movie would have a song at the end of the movie you know of course Enya does May It Be and I was I was to me my biggest disappointment is somewhere in those first three movies and somehow with the three Hobbit movies they never managed to tap her to do a song (laughs) yeah and yet she has a song for the the straight to, to to DVD tinkerbell movie
1: yeah that makes no sense and it's
0: not a bad song no. but her mu- her music ends up in the worst movies uh one of those the, the pieces of music from this cd is on uh, soldier the 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 yes the kurt russell sci-fi movie <laughs> and one of them is in the santa claus with tim allen I, she can't really catch a break <laughs> but i think she's really fantastic if you haven't heard her this are you familiar with this album this is the first album i remember buying of hers because i actually did sort of come to her through uh, hearing the mummers dance. And I was like, that's a very interesting piece of music, which in and of itself has a very sort of um, pagan sort of theme to it and dealing with uh, uh, mummers and sort of uh, Eastern European sort of gypsy tradition. And uh, the whole feel of that song really goes in hand in hand with what they're describing, what they're talking about.
1: Yeah,
0: And uh, if if you want an interesting A topic to look up particularly related to the holidays you'll check out the mummers (laughs) yeah you know that i believe it's hagerstown up your way and pa still has a mummers they have it in philly too uh but there's a lot of really nice pieces of music on there the uh dante's prayer which is just a really beautiful somber sort of melancholy piece of music skellig is like courting a dying monk's testimony in a monastery i mean really interesting stuff that you wouldn't think would necessarily make for a song but each song kind of tells its story and has has characters even if they're not outspoken you can kind of get a feel for what's going on even some of these pieces of music have no words yeah and it's very haunting uh all that to say that the that the fifth track on this album is actually a straight up ghost story or an interpretation of a ghost story, which is uh, Alfred Noyes' "The Highwayman." Are oh, you yes. familiar with that yeah. uh, poem? To be fair, the ghost part comes at the very end, but it's a kind of dark and moody, tragic story. And she sets this thing to music. And have you heard her version
1: of it? Yeah, it's beautiful. And back he spurred like a madman, shrieking a curse to the sky, with a white road smoking behind him and his Arabia brandished high. Let the spurs of the golden moon in red with his velvet coat. When he shot him down on the highway, down like a dog on the highway, and he led.
0: It's a fantastic piece of music it's haunting it's creepy uh and it to me that's a per this is a perfect halloween album uh you can put this on i usually do put this on on halloween to play sometime either before as we're easily getting ready to go out trick-or-treating or on our way back or heck you know, just light a torch and play it and carry it through your neighborhood do-it-yourself mummer parade it's a great album and i do think it's uh, something kind of
1: it's a nice uh mood enhancer for the holidays yeah exactly yeah i'm actually gonna probably listen to this after we get off here recording jade she got to be
0: fair i think all of her albums are worthwhile she had one that just came out uh this past spring and it's good too but i think this is great ancient muse is great and and almost uh all of her older stuff is fantastic and uh well worth checking out i've seen her three times now in concert all all up in uh, well uh, twice in PA and once down at the Lyric here in Baltimore. And she she's a great person to see in concert because there's a lot of storytelling that comes with her.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: Just being there and, and interacting is a great kind of live show as well. Because everything that she does musically can be replicated in a live um, atmosphere. In fact, last thing I, I'll mention, and I don't know if it's still on there, but Netflix used to have her live show, The Night's of the Alhambra, on Netflix so, if you were looking for a kind of feel of her music, or an idea of of her music, this is a fantastic piece, and she's in this in this space, and uh, stuff is, the music's absolutely beautiful. So, I believe I'll put a link to that. I think it's still on Netflix. I'm not entirely sure, but
1: it was for for quite a while. That sounds great.
0: Okay, now we're gonna move into October 11th. Uh, Seth, this is yours.
1: Yeah, so my next choice was The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Uh, Simpsons was something that I grew up with. Uh, Started watching it when it first aired on TV and always loved it. And then they came out with their first Treehouse of Horror episode, which is kind of their send-up. If you haven't ever seen them, I don't know how it's possible, but if you haven't, they will parody different horror movies or just create like – terror tales and it's hilarious and i think it's also creepy in the right moments that it needs to be and i think out of all the series which again i love so much i think they the treehouse of horror episodes have the most beautiful animation it just feels like halloween when you're watching the treehouse of horror and i don't know if it's just tied into the memory of being young at that time and when halloween came around i'd get excited for that next episode to come out um but also just hilarious. The first, I, I'd say maybe seven or so of them are just all complete gold. Um, what I want to talk about are my favorite episode or my favorite, yeah, my favorite one, which was the third one, and also another one that I think that you should definitely check out. So Treehouse of Horror three, I think, is just the best example of what The Simpsons does great, and also the stories are all awesome. This is the one that includes Clown Without Pity, King Homer, and Dial Z for zombies. So it's just like a whole wide variety of different horror types, and just it's hilarious from start to finish. Um, The other one that I want to make great mention of is from the second episode, I believe, is when they did The Raven. So this is James Earl Jones narrating The Raven.
0: The silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, there's a visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is, and nothing more. Presently, my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scared for sure I heard you.
1: Here I opened
0: wide the door.
1: This better be good.
0: Darkness there, and nothing more.
1: Huh? You know what would have been scarier than nothing? What? Anything! Uh, the, Wasn't that the very first Treehouse of I think you're right. I think it was the first one. Um... And just the, the animation in that section is just beautiful, and I actually think it's probably the best capturing of the Raven, uh, or the, like the best adaptation of the Raven that we've ever had. Uh, there's just something about that one that I think is so great. Uh, Nathan, what about you? Did, did you watch a lot of the Treehouse of Horror when you were a kid?
0: Well, I watched a lot, of, and it's funny because my first thought when you mentioned this was, oh, we should wait and talk about this when we talk about the kids horror, but really, Simpsons isn't exactly for kids. <laughs> so, I mean, I think you and I probably watched a lot of it as oh, children. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily saying you shouldn't, like, lick and see it, but it doesn't probably fit into that category um, as well. These are always my favorites, and they're honestly... So I watched tons of The Simpsons. I mean, it's one of the longest-running shows there is. And I remember, if you've watched a lot of The Simpsons, you know that when Simpsons started out, it was very, like... They were a little more story-driven. They were a little bit more, like... Classy, I yeah. guess you could say. Uh, they were a little more cons- like they were a little more concerned about the kinds of stories that they were doing. So if they and they're, but but they're still funny. It's just that they've gotten a lot more slapsticky. And uh, honestly, now they're so all over the map that the only ones I actually tune in to watch are the Treehouse of <laughs> right. Like I'm still pretty, I'm probably up to date on all of those. These are great, and they are, and and I agree. Like you mentioned, the Raven, the Raven is cool because it captures all the kind of feelings that were in Poe's poem. But it basically just then has Bart as the raven screaming, eat my shorts, at yeah. in various <laughs> intervals. Uh, it's it's more true to the story than the uh, Vincent Price movie, The Raven, which I just saw, which I'll save for the kids' horror because it belongs there. But uh, uh, to be fair, I don't think we've got a lot of decent adaptations of The Raven. It's kind of hard. It's a kind of a moody tone poem. It's not really much of a story. Yeah. So. The 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 Simpsons episode is more playing off of the images we have than it is trying to do anything else, which is exactly kind of what it needs to be. I think there may have also been a. Um, I don't know, I'm sure if this is when they invent in, in, in introduced was it uh, Kang and Krang the like <laughs> yeah. aliens? Uh, it was one I think where they did uh, a take off of the Serve Man. Yes, the episode was called, or the uh, the short story was called "Hungry or the damned Yeah, <laughs> and. uh that was great. I believe they had one with the haunted house where the Simpsons. Uh, there's a, there's a great scene on the like spoiler payoff where the Simpsons give the house who is sentient and kind of plays off the haunting of Hill House a little bit. It's sentient and it has the option to either live with the Simpsons or self destruct. <laughs> that was a uh, so those I remember those. I, the the one you're talking about with King Homer is a classic where they do the black and white King Kong and that's what I like is they would pick stories and movies of. Homer was the absorbing man at one point. I think they also had an episode uh, featuring a story called the Omega Man. Yes, I love that one too. (laughs) Where he's fighting all of the... uh, They did a great one, of course, where Mr. Burns was in the like Bram Stoker's Dracula. (laughs) Yes. Kind of... Get up, and then the the, the one where I, it was like I know what you did last summer, where Homer runs down a werewolf that's like Ned Flanders with his car, yes, and he's singing as he goes, "Yes, I forgot to put the fog lights, in. He's Driving. <laughs> one of my favorite there, moments is from yeah. this. Great, did you? And, and there's just tons of stuff there. It's a lot of fun. I think that they, they again, you can kind of watch these with a certain a kid of a certain age. And they're not yeah. really, particularly the Treehouse of Horrors. I feel are a little bit more aimed at that and they do what What i think is cool about the simpsons was true then it's still a little true now is you could watch these and they were picking they would go way back in the vault to pick something like even in the late 90s the omega man was not something people were all that super familiar with right they picked classic horror they would pick you know old twilight zone episodes and things like that to spoof it gives a kind of talking points too because kids can be like well i don't know if i understood that and it and the reference is perfect is is purposefully old enough that it sort of draws you back to what the original source material was yeah and it gives you a place to kind of introduce kids to some of the source material um in kind of a neat way then there's stuff that's just really off the wall bonkers like um the 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 episode where the dolphins like force the humans <laughs> yeah. into the ocean Homer's walking by and he's just like well if I'm going out and he like punches a <laughs> dolphin in the blowhole as he's yeah. like walking off the...
1: I just there's there's one moment from the <clears throat> from the Omega Man that I just still think about uh, to this day and laugh about it's when like uh, the whole city you know everybody's pretty much dead except for these like flesh eating ghouls and He's sitting in the the movie theater. He's like, I can do whatever I want. He's sitting in the movie theater, and there's like, a skeleton in front of him, <laughs> and he just kicks its head off, and he just laughs, like throws his head back and laughs. It's just so funny. That show is just. It, I, I just think it's so like ingenious, and like like the the ways that they play off of some of these things. Just it, it's a great time, and it just always is going to remind me of Halloween.
0: Yeah, it's a good choice. I I, I think it's uh, fun, and it's. Uh, it'd be neat just to watch the Treehouse of Horrors just in a in a row. It'd be a, that'd be a perfectly acceptable evening of a, of a Halloween treat. Oh, total. Totally. Okay, so I mean, I could probably sit here and and, and think of instances from The Simpsons for hours, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> uh, let's move on to October twelfth, and uh, what I picked i have a movie it doesn't feel like anyone can make a really good anthology show anymore anthology movie um and then i remembered that just a couple months ago i did see what i i believe to be a very good uh anthology movie a seasonal movie and it can be a seasonal movie and uh effective and bo- both effective and creepy and it's called ghost stories Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Professor Philip Goodman. I'm here today to share three apparently supernatural incidents with you, all of which seem deeply troubling.
1: Hello? Is anyone there?
0: The The spirit. The unquiet spirit. That's a woman, be his own. No, you're still there. You don't believe, dear. Do
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's uh, the directors Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman, and <clears throat> it is a British movie. And it's got it's a it's a story with three separate tales. There's a little bit of a wraparound, but I don't want to get too much into that. Um, there's some interesting stuff going on there. Martin Freeman is in it, and uh, these three stories are based around the concept of a, a one central character is kind of moving out of, of his journalistic niche, and he is doing he's trying to do a series on the supernatural and to find an instance. Uh, as an, uh, kind of as an unbeliever, he's coming to this and seeing if he find a case that someone could prove to him that the supernatural actually exists. And so he ends up talking to three people who uh, he, he, he's been told, these people will change your mind about this. And that's the kind of wraparound for these three stories, which really fall into a classical ghost story kind of feel. You've got a guy working in an abandoned sort of building as the night guard, which is intensely creepy but in a kind of slow burn low key kind of way and you've got a story involving something going on on an old back road which is also spooky and strange and uh you've got Martin Freeman's story where uh he is a father dealing with uh dealing with some very strange occurrences and things going on and it takes a while for the movie to kind of get where it's going you're also not entirely certain at any moment exactly if it's all going to come together uh i think that there will the the mileage may vary on whether you think this completely holds together as a cohesive whole but for me it worked and it worked primarily because of the work of the directors in keeping the ambiance spooky throughout the entire movie uh, the stories don't even necessarily need to work as stories because it's more of a mood piece. It really is. Uh, now, that's not to say there aren't really creepy moments. This is not quite a movie like a Ty West movie where you seem to wait for creepy things to happen. This is more a movie where you've got the creepy ambiance, you have strange, spooky things occurring, but they're not necessarily leading you up to some big clandestine moment. They're really concerned... Uh, I, I would liken this to like the BBC uh, Ghost Stories for Christmas series and stories like by M.R. James and authors like that. They are interested in a slow build. They have a very almost literary sense to them. You can get to the sense, end of this movie, and I will be first to admit that I wasn't blown away by the, the way it's all brought together, uh, but the entire package as a whole, I thought it was a,
1: it was a really interesting and fun movie that sounds really good I'm, I'm a huge fan of anthologies and kind of as you mentioned there's not a lot of good ones out there so i'm always in the mood looking for something that i'm going to have a good interest in uh, creep shows my favorite like horror movie of all time and i think that's set at, like a really high bar for me when i first saw it uh so it's, it's been hard to find something else that i've really enjoyed so this this does sound like something that's right up my alley and this, I would say, if you're looking for tone, this is a little less creep show, more like an amicus
0: production from mm. back in the day, almost like if you think of the 70s version of Tales from the Crypt or uh, something yeah, like that. yeah, which I love uh, that, too. Uh, I, I would say that this is a spiritual successor to that movie uh, in a lot of ways, and in a lot of good ways. I, I think it's uh, very, very well done, and it isn't necessarily going to blow your socks off, but I think it can, it could creep you out, and that's kind of what I look for in this type of movie. So I'd be interested to hear, Seth, when you finally get around to seeing it, if you enjoyed it. But the thing that, the two things, last two things I'll say very quickly. One is, this is not a, when it comes to violence or things like that, this is not an incredibly intense movie. uh You're not going to find a lot of grim nastiness, which is one of the problems I have with the. With the recent slate of short films like ABC's of Death and things like that, and even VHS movies, in lieu of of building atmosphere and building dread, they just go right for a really nasty, cheap shock. Yeah. And uh, I find them both kind of gruesome and lazy. And then a lot of times. Just in bad taste. And I'm not someone who really is easily offended, but it's just hand-in-hand with the laziness. This movie, uh, it's pretty ambitious. I don't know if it gets all its pieces across the line, but I highly recommend it. And if you're a person who likes a classical kind of horror story, something like Turn of the Screw or in that that vein, The Changeling, this is that kind of movie.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds excellent. I'm going to be checking this one out. Okay, so that takes us to October 13th. Seth? So, my pick for October 13th is a film from 2015. Uh, This film is called The Witch. What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our fathers' houses. For what? for the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Uh, A film by Robert Eggers. Uh, This is something that I've come back to a couple of times now. Um, uh, And we want to talk about things that have a slow burn. That's what the witch is this is a movie that i think a lot of people saw the trailer for i'm not sure how because i know there was a little bit of mixed reaction um when people saw the witch saying it wasn't scary and things like that but this is a movie that is completely about mood um and and building dread over time this is not any kind of jump scare type of film um you're this is just kind of tossing you into the 1600s and and you, it kind of makes you feel like a family member of this family that they're following throughout the film. And it just builds as they are cast out from where they were living in a settlement and, and go off to find their own land and just what happens as that goes along and things don't go well for them. Um, and this is a movie that just it creeps under your skin so much. Um, when you When you first see it, you know, this is one I think that you should go back and rewatch again too. And you want to have a good sound system going so you can just kind of get enveloped by this film. Uh, it just it makes you feel like you are right there, and just the sense of of dread and anxiety when you're watching this movie, especially as it gets progresses farther and farther along. Um, it just grows and grows and grows. And this is a movie that I think has just an excellent ending to it as well too. Um, just blew my mind when it did happen uh this is one i think is kind of perfect for the season because it just all even if it doesn't all take place in fall it feels steeped in that in that realm um, this is just another classic i think it's going to be uh one of the horror films that we're going to be talking about is some of the greatest of all time uh as, as we go down the road here as well too it's just an instant classic it reminds me of like a kubrick nightmare what do you think about the witch nathan i one of the things i think was best about this movie was tim curry's
0: performance oh wait that was the worst witch sorry <laughs> my mistake <laughs> sorry man that's a great film <laughs> have you seen it no i haven't seen this. yeah well i just need you to look up at some point i'll save it for the kids the kids horror podcast uh let you uh we'll, we'll reveal it then but anyway the the, the, the the witch is an excellent movie um couple years ago uh we were actually doing the podcast at the time and we did our best horror movies and the witch very top of this and i i agree it's almost limiting to call it a horror film and in some ways it probably sets up an expectation that the movie can't fill it's a very dark uh almost surrealist drama in a lot of ways. Uh, that's not to say it doesn't have elements of realism, but there's just a tone to the movie that deals with the sort of puritanical zealousness that's going on in the movie. It's hard, I think, to capture in a movie that would be completely 100% realistic, because it has to capture a sort of feverish mindset that's locked into sin and guilt. And uh, I don't think you can almost do that outside of the combines of something that feels a little fantastical, you know? Oh, totally. And I think this movie was able to tap into that in a way that you wouldn't get from a normal movie that might be trying to deal uh it would seem very slanted or maybe one-sided when you're trying to deal with something like religious fanaticism which honestly is at the heart of the witch although i think it has a lot of other things to say yeah and it is extremely creepy in a uh but creepy in a like dutch painter sort of way yeah you know not in a not in a typical horror movie dime store costume kind of way
1: yeah yeah this feels like an it feels like an art film uh in a way I don't know if you feel that way but to me it's- oh it, it
0: absolutely is an art film and I think that was probably one of the things that uh it got such a big release and it got so much attention i think it uh it almost was a little too much for some people to handle because they didn't know what to expect. They went into it expecting something very different than what it is. And it is a it is a movie that takes a little while to marinate with you. Um, I haven't got a chance to show it to my wife yet. I think she's very hesitant
1: about it. Now, you said you did watch this with your wife finally? Yeah, we started watching it. She hasn't finished it yet, but I think she was really into it. But also anxious about it as well, too, because it's uh, you can just – it permeates that movie is just feeling that something bad is about to happen all the time um and it just i, I think because it does feel so at, at both the time like surreal and real i think it just adds to that kind of confusion and, and the music especially in this movie is is just another character it's it's these loud it reminds me of the shining score honestly just loud like atonal strings and they're just building and building and building there's there's so much that just adds to that level of creepiness to that movie
0: it is a very effective horror movie and if you yeah. if you for some reason haven't seen it I, uh, you know, there's a part of me that would say skip almost everything else on this list and watch watch this movie. <laughs> it's a great choice, Seth. Okay, so let's move into October 14th, and uh, we've had a couple movie choices. So I'll I'll do something a little bit different here and kind of go back to uh, books, which uh, I don't know if we have we have we covered any. Any books on here? So I don't far? think we have yet. No, Seth, I, I don't. I don't think so. I had a couple on the on the on the list, but I don't think we've gotten to it. So this is to stick with my sort of anthology theme because I, we last talked about uh, ghost stories. I want to talk about, and honestly, I had I, I've been trying to set up, and that we're, pro- we're probably not going to get to it for October, which is kind of a shame. But I want to set something up probably for November that one of the themed podcasts will be based around uh, the author Ray Bradbury and Bradbury to me like he's one of my all-time favorite authors. Uh, he, he passed just a couple of years ago, I think maybe 20 2012 or 2013. And fantastic science fiction author, did so much for the genre, but uh and is and is well known for Fahrenheit 451, for The Martian Chronicles, uh just a lot of great stuff, but I think one of the his Bread and Butter was really like short stories. Fantastic short story author. And in addition to all this other stuff he did for the genre, he also had a tremendous love of Halloween and a love of kind of nostalgia. And he tapped into that in such a way that I think if you were someone who also, he liked Halloween, I think for a lot of the same reasons I like Halloween. Uh, It's ambiance, it's feeling, and also the feeling of magic that it gave you as a child. Uh, he was really big about that kind of thing uh the entirety of the book dandelion wines a fantastic book uh, isn't isn't supernatural but uh it has a magical realist sense to it and is all about him growing up in kind of greentown illinois as a kid and he's he he wrote some fantastic stories that i think are great halloween stories something wicked this way comes of course the halloween tree both of those i'll talk about a little bit more when we do talk about kids horrors because they fit into that, into that niche. But what I want to talk about is a short story, one of his short story
1: collections called The October Country. And are you, Seth, are you very familiar with Bradbury's short fiction? Not too much, no. I've read, I've read like Dandelion Wine and stuff like that, but not, not too much of his short fiction.
0: Do you like Bradbury as an author?
1: Oh, I love him. He's
0: great. So I would recommend this, and you, uh, you can get it in. It is a collection. I'd, I'd recommend just going out and buying it sight unseen because there's so many fantastic stories in here. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm going to give you an idea for the mood he creates, and couple, and and, and deal with a couple of them. But this is, uh, it's fantastic it's called the October country and it does try to give this feeling it it does capture the kind of ambiance that Bradbury brings to his stories and particularly with what I think he envisions fall as which is both wondrous and 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 kind of miraculous in the sense that it's that time of the year when when the veil between the worlds seems a little thin and it feels like almost anything uh amazing can happen uh he feels that way about a lot of seasons but he in in there's a melancholy and a sadness underneath of it, an outsider element that he brings into a lot of these stories. And so these stories are both wondrous and a little and a little uh, moody at the same time. And there's stories that if you've ever if you've ever cross fiction, you probably come across some of them. They've been published other places, but there are some fantastic stories in here. I'll just cover a couple of them. Uh, there and if you ever saw uh, Ray Bradbury's. There was Ray Bradbury Theater, which I think USA played in the... First HBO had it, then USA had it in the 90s. Uh, And they did some of these. You can find some of these probably on YouTube. But some great stories. There's a story in here called The Dwarf that deals with a... uh, a hall of mirrors at a carnival. Carnivals are a big thing in Bradbury stories. And you have uh, the young girl who works at the hall of mirrors, keeps watching every night as this dwarf will walk in to the hall of mirrors and stand in front of the mirrors that that make him look taller. And where the story goes, I wouldn't classify as a horror story, but it's a fantastic human drama story. There's a story in uh, called The Lake where a man goes back to uh, his childhood home and to the lake that's there, and he remembers... Uh, a major event in his life involved a child drowning in this lake, and so there's a lot about memory and a lot of uh, a lot about the way we process the things that happen to us. But I'm saying this in a clinical way. These are very rich, very uh, meaty stories. The emissary is a sick kid; he can't go outside. So the Bradbury writes this perspective of this child who's in bed, and the dog is his connection to the world. It goes out and it brings him back things, and uh it connects there's a connection that both of them have to a woman who's in the neighborhood and then she dies and the dog runs off and the story kind of goes from there just again almost some a lot of elements of poe and a lot of elements that are solely bradbury's there's a story involving a woman who's sure that her baby who hasn't been born yet or has just been born is trying to kill her and tried to kill her while it was in the womb it's called the small assassin fantastic story um there is a, there's a collection of stories, uh, one of a Homecoming and the other one called Uncle Enar, that very much is almost like he looked at Charles Adams' illustrations and had kind of created this world that is similar to the Adams family, but very different. And uh, it deals, one of the stories involves the normal human child in a family full of creatures, but fantastical Halloween creatures. Uh, those are both terrific stories. It, lots of great stuff in here. And I recommend it. Again, one of these deals where if you can only pick one thing off this list or a couple things off this list, uh, I would pick this up and read it. The stories are relatively short. Bradbury's prose is amazing because it's very human. It connects you to the characters, but it's also very artful. It has a poetry to it, which I wouldn't say about a lot of authors. Even an author who I love, like Stephen King, tells a great story. I don't often feel compelled to read paragraphs of King's over and over, uh you know what i mean i read it i get the story i kind of savor the story but uh bradbury's an author that i it might i can read very quickly but i might take a half hour to savor one of his stories because i will go back and read passages of it uh there's some beautiful language in some of these stories uh in the emissary in uh the wind just the way things are described are he just has a way he's very evocative and if you're one of those people who likes the mystery and the sort of wonder and in the romance of fall and of autumn this is a perfect thing for
1: you this is a perfect item i think on the list yeah i feel like i i I, I can't believe i've missed out on this so far i need to i need to pick up a copy i would literally
0: go pick this up and read it this fall so the other thing that's great about bradbury Uh, you would only want to preview the stories a little bit ahead of time, but Bradbury is an author that I think is, for the most part, accessible across a wide uh, age range. So there are stories in this collection, uh, The Emissary being one of them, that you could read to a child of a certain age. Probably your daughter could get something out of these stories. The Homecoming and Uncle Enar, they are stories that are, they're not going to frighten them, they're not going to freak them out too much. They're just good stories. So let's move on then
1: to October 15th so for my choice i also went with uh, one short story in particular um and this is a specific version of that so my pick for today is the mist by stephen king but the 3d audio drama that they've done of yes mist. yes i excellent excellent choice i love this so much uh the Mist has always been one of my favorite uh, Stephen King like novellas or short stories, uh, just even since I was a little kid, uh, loving monsters so much. And when I was, I don't know, I, I think I was in middle school or so, I found out that they had done an audio drama of it, which I always really dug audio dramas. Just something about it felt nostalgic to me, and I just loved kind of how immersive it was. And... This does not let me down whatsoever. Uh, I think it's got great production in this audio drama. The sound is is awesome. Uh, It was kind of the the big thing about it. Kind of put me off on the on the front of it as well too. Was it says it's in three D sound, so it's perfect to listen to with headphones. Just because they kind of like the sounds will go between. Uh, your ears—it—it it just sounds so immersive. It's so great, um, and the acting is, is perfect for that type of audio drama. Uh, you can just—even when the monsters show up—you can get kind of just see them in your mind's eye as you're listening to the, sl, the these slithering sounds across cement. Uh, this is just all around super fun, super moody. It's got very creepy moments in it as well too. Uh, but this would be perfect for a night where you're sitting in like you know in a candlelit room with a headphone phones on just getting immersed in this tale uh, so nathan you're, you're aware of this you've heard this before
0: yeah and i used to have it somewhere so wit so here's a couple questions because i know we're always trying to sort of um point out where you can find things i probably should st- step back a little bit and just mention that ghost stories is on amazon uh to rent right now i don't know if it's on any of the streaming services you can get it for 3.99 uh and then The Witch is, I I believe, uh, streaming on Netflix, right? Yes. Netflix and Amazon, I'm pretty certain. I know it's definitely on Netflix right now. Then The October Country, you can buy at most bookstores, and you can get it on Amazon. But where can we find this now, The Mist, audio
1: drama? I'm trying to remember where I picked it up. I I picked it up at a CD store, but I know it's on Amazon as well, too, right now. Uh, They have used copies for $11 going right now, and some new ones for about $30. If you're a fan of King and you love this story in particular, I think this is something that you should have in your collection. So
0: The Mist, this uh, audio version of The Mist, is on YouTube right now. Uh, A little bit over an hour of time. This is fantastic. This is my favorite version of this story. And I like the movie. The Frank Darabont movie is good. It's a fun movie. Uh, But I think it kind of pales in comparison to this because this, to me, captures a certain sense of mystery that the that the short story imbued in me because so much is left to your imagination and the movie has dealing with uh, mediocre medium special effects you know it does a lot with what it has for its budget but it doesn't it, it there's nothing doesn't have the oomph behind it to imagine the creatures the way you imagine them in your mind. I, totally... And the soundscape here, because because it's the mist and you don't see... The, the story involves people trapped in a grocery store and they're not quite able to see what's coming out of the mist. The sound design is perfect. And I think this is way creepier oh, than totally. the film. Oh, totally. Me too. In, in, in tons of different ways. And this is a perfect... Uh, audio dramas are great they they're great in general i mentioned the magnus archives earlier this is a really neat i would say this you know it gets a little gruesome in places uh, uh not visually obviously but this wouldn't be really young kids but if you had a teen oh a yeah. teen audience i think it'd be a perfect thing to sit down and listen to and um it's a it's an evolution a little bit from the war of the worlds but it's that same kind of thing that's being done here uh, and it is it is excellent. Uh, yeah, I saw you can buy it on you on Amazon. You can buy it on Amazon. Looks like for about thirteen bucks or, or or thereabouts. But the whole thing currently, I don't know how long it'll be up there. But this, uh, it looks like this has been up for a little bit. It's been up since uh, February of uh, twenty eighteen. Yeah, so you have a good chance at so, hearing it now if you want to
1: listen to yeah, it. Yeah, so I
0: will put a link in the in the show notes for it, and I will uh, I'll also get to listening to it again yeah. before it gets pulled up because yeah. I have no idea where my copy is. I've had it for. Quite a while, and I, I like you have the old uh, version. The version it's here has a cover that is essentially, I think, the cover of the film, and it does say now a major motion picture. But the cut, the one I have has a t- tentacle bursting through, and you know, in a kind of 3D image, the uh, 3D sound thing. But the soundscape on this is excellent. Oh, it so is good. really moody it 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 will make you look over your shoulder if you're if you're listening to it in dark i'd actually recommend you probably listen to it with a couple other people yeah (laughs) but a good sound system this is this is absolutely on the menu for me now i'm so glad you brought it up because i i just wasn't thinking about it and uh this would make a great evening i'm my kids are not ready for this yet. yeah mine aren't either <laughs> but uh, and I, we'll talk about this a little bit in the other podcast but i think war of the worlds is a is one that could could work oh definitely um and and i think that that's out there on youtube as well but this this is a uh, quality stuff and anyone if you've seen the movie and you th- or you read the short story and you think you've you've had the full experience there you absolutely have not you need to check this out. So, Seth, I think that kind of wraps it up for us for this uh, this week. So, what we're doing now, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to do this. We tried to do three at a time, and it was just—it's uh, hard to kind of carve out the time to make sure that we are hitting every day this way. So, we're going to start doing this in kind of weekly chunks and go, do about seven or eight at a time. And I think that will help us get through. So, we're hitting about the midway mark now with the fifteen and uh I, I think i think this is a good format what do you think so oh, yeah. this will work to get us through to the end so stay tuned next time when we start with the 16th and we'll work through and uh, that'll give us a couple more episodes of this look for the next episode we're gonna have we're gonna bring you uh in this in this series for halloween is actually going to be an episode about kids horror stories for halloween kids stories uh, movies uh, events things like that things to do might end up being a one or a two part uh series but i'm really excited about that Me too. Uh, and it, it's it's going to be sort of an, an interesting experiment because i think we have an interest as parents as as fathers uh people with families i think i do have an interest in, in introducing my kids to things that i grew up with but also exploring new things with them in the genre and and there's not always a lot of, in, of information out there on that and uh or reviews and things like that so i think there's a niche there to be had as well so this will be kind of a trial trial run in some ways for that so stay tuned for that it will be a completely family friendly couple of episodes i don't think we're that non-family friendly now but a lot of the content we talk about is not appropriate for for young people everything we talk about next week will be there'll be varying age levels but everything will be pretty much family centric Uh, next time and then we will catch up well next week we'll also have the next installment of this series so good night everyone take
1: care Seth thanks have a good evening guys